Hi and welcome to Arrow Power. This week we're at the Arrow Technology Summit. This is Arrow's annual partner forum held in Denver. Over the next few weeks we're going to be presenting you all the power debate sessions that occurred at ATS. You're going to hear from our practice leaders talking about security, IoT, data intelligence, cloud and next generation platforms. We hope you enjoy this Arrow Bowers production and please subscribe. Good morning everyone and uh, you know thanks for being here today and welcome Nicole, welcome Rod. Um, let's start with some introductions. I'll start and then hand it over to Nicole. Uh, my name is Ashish Parikh and I lead the segment solutions and platforms within the IoT practice at Arrow. And I use the word practice because it's not a business unit. What we're here to do is really unify all the capabilities, all the products, all the services, all the solutions that we have across Arrow. And when I talk about that, it's across all the partner ecosystems that we have as well. And so as we do that, it's really about how do we help customers build solutions? How do we roll up solutions and help take those to market? And really, that's our mission here. So what we're going to do today is really explore the world of IoT and how Microsoft and Intel are working with us and with the rest of you to really deliver some of these outcomes that businesses are looking for. With that, Nicole. Thank you, Ashish. So I'm Nicole Daniel. I manage the channel program for IoT at Microsoft globally. Um, what that means is we've got a handful of partners like Arrow that we work with in taking IoT solutions and scaling them across the globe and making them repeatable. So we've been working with Arrow for quite some time on how do we enable the repeatability and the scalability of, of these solutions that have been for a long time sort of customer one-off. Uh, I've been with Microsoft for about 15 years. Um, I think I was the first cloud seller on the planet when we launched Azure about 10 years ago. And uh, before that, I came from uh, Rockwell Automation, which was industri is industrial automation. Uh, and I remember our challenge being at that point, how do you kind of connect the plant floor with the, the boardroom? And that was, I'm going to date myself here, but that was right around the time that, that Microsoft had launched NT, um, which made it possible to actually have a client-server technology based on uh, the technologies that, that Rod and I both now are involved in today. You know, an Intel-based processor on a computer that could run plants across the globe in a distributed sort of way, kind of almost making SCADA systems um, a competitive arena, right? So that was our challenge back then, just being able to have that client-server architecture out there and now I look at today, we're still facing some of the same challenges in terms of, hey, we've got now that technology behind it, but then how do we really look at, you know, IoT enabling aggregation of all of this massive amount of data coming from the plant floor, being able to analyze it and put it into decision-making uh, scenarios. And so I think, you know, it's been an evolution over the last, I would say, 25 years that I've, I've been working on the technology side of getting data from the very lowest level of, you know, the, the very edge all the way up into the cloud and back down to the decision maker. So um, that in a nutshell is, I think, our, our challenge with IoT and, and kind of where we're going. So I'm excited to be here today and I'll turn it over to Rod. Rod. 
Thank, thanks. Uh, so I'm Rod O'Shea. Uh, I work for Intel. I run our global IoT partner programs. Uh, for those of you that can't tell from my accent, I'm not naturally American. Um, uh, I, I actually come from the UK. Um, my surname's O'Shea, so uh, I actually, in Ireland, they'd call me a plastic paddy because I have an Irish surname coming from the UK. Um, and recently, about just over a year ago, I transitioned from living in London, or as I say in America, London, England, to, uh, to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, so I think I'm role modeling cultural change from that move. Um, the, um, and very different environments, but uh, our core IoT practice for Intel is based in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And just one, one, uh, one experience I had while I was uh, uh, early on my kind of time here was I'm normally quite good at answering questions because I get lots of them. You know, we have lots of panels. I was in a kind of a, a, a latte bar and I ordered a latte in my kind of English accent and the server said, geez, I love your accent. Were you born with that? And, <laughs> you know, you, you, I, could, I didn't know how to answer that question, so I just nodded and smiled. But, and I, you know, one of those questions you think, there was probably a good answer I could have given there, but I didn't. Um, for those of you that have kind of been following technology use this year, this is Intel's uh, 50th year, 50th anniversary. We've been having kind of huge celebrations globally. Um, you know, the, the original founders of the company included Gordon Moore, who postulated Moore's law, and that continues to be a turbine that drives lots of innovation in our core business of silicon. So, you know, Intel's a almost $70 billion company this year. Um, we spent $13 billion on R&D last year. And, you know, it's all about technology innovation. But, you know, one thing that we're absolutely clear on is we can't do it alone. And actually, you know, Nicole, Atisha and I were talking before we came up on stage. And you think about, you know, go back 30 years to the kind of big turbine of the PC, personal computing, you know, era. It was all about working together with partners to deliver outcomes. So I think we figured out we can't do it alone. And if ever there was a time where there's massive transformation in the Internet of Things and the need for us to be working effectively together as an industry and as an, as an ecosystem, it's now. But we need to be working together. And I think you know, the, the essence of the panel today will be exploring that and figuring out where there are real opportunities uh, in the world of IoT. Thanks, Rod. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we saw, so Intel's been in business for 50 years, but, uh, you know, one of the slides that Matt uh, put up basically seemed to show Intel, you know, the, the graph for Intel from Google Trends was, you know, down and to the right. Clearly, uh, that's not what we see. Can you, can you kind of expand a little bit upon what Intel has been doing and a little bit more about um, the growth and the, the, the capabilities that you guys are now delivering into the market? Yeah, so, so, uh, so I was quite surprised by it. I understand the essence of the comments Matt was making yesterday around the movement away from searching for technologies to searching for use cases and, and solutions. So I, I, you know, I, I understand that, and that makes sense. It always makes me nervous when I see charts with Intel with a blue line going from top left to bottom right, particularly as we've come out of a period of six record quarters. So, so I think there was some kind of commentary on that. Um, you know, the, 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 the transformation that, that Intel is kind of working through is we've always been a company that delivered technologies that create experiences. And, and, you know, Matt talked a lot about 
the more you can deliver solutions that enable experiences, then, then the better the outcomes, and completely agree with that. I think the other thing is, you know, we talked about, you know, Intel's history. You know, if you, if you, you know, our parents' Intel was predicated very much on the personal computer. If you look at Intel's business now, there's still a significant personal computer business, but our data-centric businesses are about the same kind of size. So we have significant focus on growth in supporting the innovation of the cloud service providers, you know, including great companies like Microsoft. So, so you know, we're seeing that journey move towards the, the delivery of supporting deployments of those complete solutions. And, you know, the great thing with companies like Intel and Microsoft, and you could name many others, is any kind of technology deployment anywhere globally, we're probably involved in that in some shape or form. So we're probably delivering some part of that capability. I think the, the challenge now is how do we make sure that we maximize the value of those technologies in an era where there's new business models, new capabilities, uh, lots of market hype, but also lots of market confusion. But, you know, the, but that movement towards a more data-centric uh, capability is, is a key North Star for us. Yeah, and it's not just the data center, it's also about the edge, and we'll, we'll, we'll come to that in a little bit. But, Nicole, uh, you know, Microsoft has, the last four years have been completely different from Microsoft. I think the audience could probably benefit from just a little bit of, you know, that transformation that you're seeing inside the company and how it's impacting, you know, your, your go-to-market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, we're, we've been partners with Intel for a long time, and I think if we were to see a similar graph at a similar time frame, we would see that our, um, our, our market in general, not market share, but market for uh, PCs has declined over the years, just the traditional PC, and we've had to together invent brand new categories of, of PCs. I think, you know, some of those were things like the convertibles and the, the detachables and that kind of thing, but in, in at the core, what's really happening is that there's a lot more intelligence embedded in the devices and small form factors. Therefore, a lot of c the compute power that you needed to have on a PC has been replaced by things like cell phones and you know uh, devices that you might use in your home that are smaller form factors that already have the, the processing capability built into that edge. And I think that's really been, um, from a technology standpoint, the biggest journey that Microsoft has taken over the last couple of years is to not look at the world in terms of PCs, but to look at the world of intelligent edge that communicates with the intelligent cloud, and then everything that happens in between, and the analytics, and the data, and the, the insights that you, can, that you can get. On the business side, we went through a massive journey ourselves. Um, when we first launched our cloud platform, that was something that kind of cut into our core as a business. We had launched a server platform back in the day that I was mentioning and when the Windows NT days when I was not with Microsoft. Um, and that, you know, when we started looking at the ability to, to, to commoditize really uh, compute power and storage in the cloud, uh, we had a massive, uh, you know, internal discussion, let's put it that way, about, you know, how is this going to disrupt our cash cow, which, um, you know, servers and, and windows were the cash cow for Microsoft for many years. And that led to many conversations about, 
hey, this is how the world is going. You know, we've got to be the platform provider in a hybrid scenario. We need to be that platform provider in a public cloud scenario. We need to embrace the decision of the customer, whether they want to do, you know, on-premises all the way up to public cloud and everything in between. But that led then to other philosophical things like, hey, how do we pay our people? How do we pay our people that are selling physical servers today to transition into selling, you know, 10 cents per minute in the cloud, right? It, it was a huge mind shift for us. And it took us, I would say, a good eight years to get those things right. And now we're seeing that as our customers transition to things like outcome as a service or SaaS or PaaS or device as a service, they're going through similar questions. You know, how do we start to um, move somebody that sold devices, um, in the case maybe of even Arrow, and then the resellers and the partners of Arrow, devices through the ecosystem, how do we start to look at um, how do we compensate people on selling an outcome that might be, you know, 10 cents per, per it's it's hard monitoring per it's, month. It's hard to, to figure out how to pay people yep. you know, when you know, you've got a long tail there. So. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a technology journey for us, and it's also been a business journey for us. And it, if I can say, you know, you kind of went from being very Windows-centric to being very open, right? It's, you know, iHeart Linux kind of a thing. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> heart open. is a big word. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I small heart. A big heart windows, correct, but I still, again, better together. But it's a very open ecosystem, and I think that's one of the great benefits that, you know, you yeah. guys are bringing to the, to the, to really this community here. Um, so let's, let's kind of go from, you know, where we started with, okay, the companies to really the IoT strategies that you guys have had and been developing, right? It's not baked yet. I think all of us are learning in this ecosystem that IoT is a journey, it's not a destination right now. And uh, it's ultimately gonna be how we do business, but maybe Rod, if you wanna start with Intel and your IoT journey, and what, what are some of the lessons you've learned so far from it? Yeah, so, so you know, the thing about Internet of Things, it's a very broad term, and it means many different things to many different people. And I'll give you kind of one observation. Now, the Internet, that's kind of quite a broad term, and if you think about the most vague term possible, it's thing. So, so if you start there, it's a very, very broad uh, term. Um, you know, so many of us kind of have our roots in the embedded industry. I've been working in the, the embedded business for the last couple of decades, mainly in Europe. And you know, as we started looking at the Internet of Things, we started saying, is there an opportunity to have a, a capability to really start to drive deployments in a way that is repeatable and um, really drives value. And you know, those, are, those of you that have worked in the embedded or you know, in the early stages of the IoT industry, it's littered with science projects, first ideas. The number of times I've sat in boardrooms and people have said, Rog, you know, the industry keeps talking about a trillion dollars. Actually, I think it's $1.3 trillion we talked about yesterday. I just don't see it. So, so we, we've been working through that journey, and for the last three years uh, in Intel, a group of us have been maniacally focused on the problem statement, which is, can you build a partner ecosystem 
to accelerate the repeat deployment of solutions. And when we started on that journey, we had to define what's a solution. Uh, within Intel, I found six different defini definitions of what an IoT solution was. So we had to tidy up our, our, our own shop internally first. And by the way, that's not a 24-hour discussion. Um, and then we started saying, how do we really prove this premise that there are meaningful repeat deployable capabilities and how do we enable our partners to succeed in that environment? Um, and, and you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we can talk a lot more about the details and uh, we have some, some follow-on breakouts where we, we go into some of the solution stacks. But just, just kind of a, a couple of data points that you might find interesting. Uh, in, in 2017, as we were testing this premise, we said globally, if we can find two or three IoT end-to-end -end solutions that we can repeat deploy two or three times, that's probably going to be a success. And you know, doing the maths, two, you know, two or three times two or three, the top end there of our expectation was about 10 deployments globally in a business last year of $62 billion. It was a re you know, relatively small target. Um, I, I challenge a team this year, well, could we get, you know, can we 10x that? You know, can we start really figuring out how we take solutions and repeat deploy, de deploy them? Um, and we now have over 100 of these repeat deployable um, solutions that we've brought into our, our ecosystem. And again, we can talk more about that. Um, and we have well, when, when I prepared my notes yesterday flying down from Phoenix, we had 243 deployments. We now have 273 uh, deployments of these solutions called market-ready solutions. So actually, we, you know, we achieved 30 yesterday. Um, there's an engine growing, and there's an opportunity for everyone in this room to engage in that solution journey. And a, a key thing is... Now, Intel doesn't own, this, own these solutions. The partners own these solutions. We're just helping to inventorize, create, and market those capabilities. But you, you can repeat deploy solutions, and you can very rapidly move away from the science project. And the science project has littered our industry for the last 10 years. And most of those science projects, even though they're not called science projects, they are science projects, they don't go to scale and you know, basically nobody gets commercial value from it, particularly our end users. So that's kind of the essence of the journey that we've been Yeah, I think other people call them proof of concepts, and I think that's like a band word at Microsoft. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's, there's many terms for, for that, but yeah. Yeah, proof of concepts another yeah. good one. And, and you touched on repeatability. Nicole, you want to kind of talk about a little bit you know, repeatable solutions and really what Microsoft's striving to do. Well, Raj just stole my talk track, so. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I agree but with Actually, <laughs> if you do look at um, our strategies around repeatability, they're, they're very similar, which I think talks to the fact that we, we recognize the opportunity there. And as you were saying, Rod, um, we see a lot of science projects, a lot of proof of concepts out there. And I always ask, okay, great that we have a repeatable solution. How many times has it been repeated? That's the real interesting part for all of us in this room. Because you know, when you build a lot of one-off, it's very costly. Um, it takes a lot of human resources, actual bodies implementing uh, solutions, which are, there's always going to be a place for that, right? We, we, for every single application that you deploy in a different factory or a different retail outlet or a different smart grid or smart energy solution, you're still going to have that last mile. 
But the idea is let's put the building blocks in place so that 80% of it is going to be repeatable every time. And then there's the last mile implementation or last mile integration. And I think Arrow has a really good example of how they took something that was custom and made it repeatable and repeated, which um, I think most of the people in this room have seen the SAM car and understand what the SAM car is about. Is that a fair statement? Yes? No? <laughs> um, so, the, so Arrow built um, the semi-automated -autom car for a person named Sam Schmidt, um, who was a race car driver, ended up in an accident and became paralyzed. And so they built a technology that with a cap, the, uh, the sensors in the cap could read uh, his movements and be able to control the car so that he could race again. He was an indie uh, racer. Um, with that same technology, there's all kinds of information that also comes off of the car. So you've got the telemetry data in the car, things like, you know, heat, gas, speed, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got that combined with the actual driver, what's happening to him at that moment in terms of his movements. Did he move too fast, right, left, forward, or back to accelerate? And then in addition to that, you know, what were the circumstances that might have caused a deviation and then, of course, that combined with GPS, is he deviating too far so that we make sure that he gets back on track? All of that, that um, technology was built for that car, but then Arrow recognized, hey, this is technology that we can repeat in a solution that might be useful for the average driver that might end up in a car crash. What if we could provide all of that telemetry and the biometrics back to the first responder? So the first responder knows, hey, the person was going too fast or maybe it was going too slow, moved too quickly, um, heart rate was elevated, maybe they passed out. How do we respond to that person to make sure that the, uh, the, the response is, is fast and the best response that you could have? In addition, they looked at, you know, how do we use HoloLens so that the first responder can um, be able to talk to a, a specialist, maybe somebody's lungs got punctured in the crash and they want to talk to a specialist back at the hospital that can guide them through what to do, right? So the hollow lens then allows the first responder to be hands-free. So in a nutshell, um, you know, the idea is, hey, we took this custom or bespoke solution and converted it into something that can be used in situations across the globe in a first responder type of, of environment. And one of the things that Aero did there was we open sourced the technology, right? Everything that we built for the SAM car was open source, so uh, anybody can use that. And the idea was, hey, I, if somebody can benefit from this, great. But that kind of goes back to what you were talking about is, oh, you know, you didn't mention it, but, you know, Microsoft as part of the repeatability is really kind of creating a lot of open source yeah. that partners can go use to start building out those solutions. Right. So if, if you want to just expand on that, that program that you guys have. Yeah, so we have, um, we have a, a bunch of things to try to speed up solutions. It's all in the context of how do we speed it and get it repeated. Um, but we've got an open source repository that is built by, some of it's built by Microsoft and some of it's built by our third party partners that are building uh, repeatable sets of code or solutions that um, you can visit and go look at them. Things like smart energy, smart grid, smart retail, smart factory, et cetera, et cetera. Smart buildings, which is one of the areas that Arrow is highly involved in as well. And so we've made those open source in order for those building blocks to be there, um, ready for, for you know, uh, the partners 
like you to pick them up and do sort of that last mile, 80% and upward integration and provide really the IP that's unique to, to, to you as a partner. Um, the other area that I was gonna mention there around the open source is that you might have seen a, an announcement that we made recently about a $5 billion investment in IoT. We've got about 1.5 under our belts today. And that 1.5 has primarily been um, in an investment called Azure Sphere, um, which is, uh, how many in the room have heard of um, MCUs? Probably many people. So think of you know, CPUs applicable to high power computing in, in uh, our traditional computers and servers and that type of thing. And then MCUs are uh, the chips that uh, we all have in our homes. So on an average, probably all of us have anywhere from 15 to 25 MCUs in our homes, things that control our alarm clocks or the display on the microwave, our refrigerators, et cetera. All of those commodity, or, or I should say home good devices have MCUs in them. And we launched um, a product called Azure Sphere just recently, you'll see it in the news, that's a highly secure chip. And one of the reasons that we, we did this, we open sourced it, so you will have seen that we have partnered with Linux on this, um, because we wanted, to, wanted it to be highly customizable, yet secure at the same time. So one of the reasons that we did that was, um, we said, hey, in order for IoT to really be ubiquitous and to get the massive scale, we have to make sure that if a, a, a uh, your daughter has a, a Barbie. <laughs> this, um, we've all heard of that, right? The, the Barbie that can talk to you, right? Um, is it going to say to you, hey, you, your hair looks terrible today. You look ugly. <laughs> or is the Barbie going to say to you, hey, let's go out and, and play today, right? And somebody could potentially go in and hack that toy or hack your, um, your stove, turn on the gas at 4 o'clock in the morning, turn it back on, and then boom, when you wake up, ignite your home, right? That could be, those are the types of hacking scenarios that could happen with, uh, with the consumer devices becoming ubiquitous in the home. And so the whole idea behind Azure Sphere was let's, let's build the technology because we have the capability to do that with our learnings from Xbox and other products that have been hacked in the past. Um, but let's put it out there so that anybody can adopt it and chip manufacturers can use it and it'll become sort of the, the standard around making sure that, that devices are highly secure and then connected to a highly secure cloud. So, so, so just, just to build on that kind of that discussion around innovation and then the journey from that innovation to deployments, now I think, I think every, every IoT architecture has kind of a similar underlying capability. So there's innovation at the edge you were talking about, sensors and MCUs. There's some, there's some kind of edge capability. People talk about gateways where you kind of manage those and actually that's where, I think there's a difference between data center and data centric. I think mm -hmm. that's where the data centric journey right. starts managing at the edge. Then you have some kind of network capability and then the link to some kind of cloud service provision. A great example you know, is Azure. So one of the, the discussions for the industry is, ca can you take that capability and repeat deploy that end-to-end -end goodness with all that innovation? So um, you know, we, we, we started with this premise of, let's inspect what's deployed. Let's really, really understand what's been deployed. 
let's make sure that there's real market value in that deployment. So customers, it's commercially available, customers are seeing benefit from it, they're getting a return on investment. And, and we work through a, you know, basically a methodology for inspecting those deployed solutions and saying, this is the type of solution that is likely to scale. And you know, very basic things, is it available? Is it supportable? Is there a committed channel? Is, 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 there a, is the value proposition compelling? If that, if that partner says, I can make this available in Germany, do they really mean that? Or do they mean that they've once been on an aeroplane to Germany? So we go through that kind of rigorous assessment of partner capability. And we call that a market-ready solution, which is you can basically take the whole thing and deploy it, and it includes the path to market, including the channel. So that's a market-ready solution. And, and of those, you know, the, I think the industry norm for POCs going to deployment is significantly less than 20%. I think if you talk to kind of, you know, many of the industry executives, it's kind of low double digits. I think Intel's view is it's even lower than that. If you look at the fact we've very specifically said what's deployable and how to repeat it, and again, just to give you kind of our kind of, kind of current live data uh, as of this morning, you know, we have 45 market-ready solutions reporting globally. Of those, 19 have deployed five or more times this year. So, and, and um, 30 of those have deployed three or more times. So, we're actually getting the return that we expect by being very, very methodical around the repeat deployment. But you know, to, to build on the um, on kind of you know where, where where Nicole was taking us in terms of repeatability, that whole end user deployment includes the path to market. Therefore, makes assumptions about the value-added reseller or the SI. So that's great. And you know, I can have a buildings management solution, and I can include a specific building management SI. How many building management SIs are are there in the U.S.? You know, I hear different numbers, but we stopped counting at 850. Uh, in Europe, there's thousands. In PRC, China, there's thousands. So actually, you, wanna, you want to have that SI capability to deliver the last mile, to deliver the outcome, to understand specifically the customer's requirements. But if you can link that to a hardened building management technology bundle that's kind of... 80% ready or 90% ready, and you can feed that to that building's SI, you're starting to really get through a lot of the issues that some of those building's SIs don't really understand the enterprise. You know, they don't understand how to integrate an Azure, Azure capability. So you can start to get after that kind of IT, OT goodness. So you're getting repeatability, but also the work that's being done to maybe integrate that sensor into the edge and the gateway, integrate that gateway into the network, that's being, that problem is being solved again and again and again globally. Thousands of people solving the same, the same issue. And our premise is, let's solve it once as an industry, do it properly, and then let's add value to that capability in delivering those outcomes. And within that framework, so, so you know, there's market-ready solutions, there's technology bundles beneath those. We, we call them RFP-ready kits. There's many industry terms that SIs can take, value-added resellers can take, and deliver those solutions to end users. 
that that becomes a really compelling value proposition and it increases the end user's confidence in the ability to deploy a solution. And also it enables us to have a much faster time to money, time to revenue, time to value for us as an ecosystem because we're, de we're deploying value earlier. Again, that was one of the premises of Matt yesterday that we weren't deploying value quickly enough. So, so that idea of repeatability, understanding your part of the value chain, not reinventing things that many others have invented, that's, that's our parents' IoT, that's not today's IoT, and then deploying those solutions in a, in a consistent way is, 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 is really the premise. And you know, 18 months into this journey with Intel, I'm absolutely confident that this is a, a, a winning capability. And then you know, the, the, the fantastic accelerator we have now is Arrow, and we can talk more about that, but the ability to then link that, those compelling technology bundles with Arrow, with Arrowscape and ability to aggregate those capabilities has been a key part of the jigsaw. So, so this, this, this actually is a, is, a, is a premise we had a couple of years ago that's working and I think the industry is really starting to adopt this capability because it's generating real value. Thank you for listening to Arrow Bound. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe and please check out our other fantastic podcasts in the Balance Network. See you again next week.